The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm delighted to welcome Scott Belsky to uh, today's show. Scott's an entrepreneur, author, and investor, and he currently serves as Adobe's Chief Product Officer. Uh, Scott's also a uh, venture partner with uh, Benchmark and an early advisor and investor in a number of fast-growing companies like Pinterest, Uber, and uh, Periscope. He's the author of Making Ideas Happen, and uh, in early October 2018, Scott publishes his new book, The Messy Middle. And here's the premise behind The Messy Middle. The product or company launch gets cheered on. The finish line gets celebrated. But the rocky terrain in between is woefully underestimated and misunderstood. So, uh, Scott. A very warm welcome to today's show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Absolutely. And we'll start and end on a high and hopefully not get too bogged down in in the messy middle. So, Scott, how did you start your journey into being an entrepreneur? What were the trigger points for you? Well, you know, like like many journeys, mine started with frustration of something I wanted to solve, something that unnerved me, and that was just how disorganized the creative world was. I felt like the very people that make our lives interesting, that compel us to buy things, to engage with the world around us, were also some of the most disorganized people on the planet, and um, oftentimes living their mercy, their career at the mercy of circumstance, not getting attribution for their work. Wearing disorganization as a badge of honor, as opposed to realizing that potentially the greatest competitive advantage in creativity is being organized with the ideas you've already got. And so that was the that was the objective of Behance was to help organize the creative world. I would tell people that mission, and they'd say, "Oh, you know, good luck with that." But I was passionate about it, and it, through five years of bootstrapping, two years as a venture backed company, and then integrating the company after our acquisition by Adobe, and then leading and building the effort as well as other new projects within Adobe. It's been a real fun part of my career, focusing on the creative world. Wonderful. So a bit of frustration inspiring you or motivating you at the beginning. Have there been any individuals out there, famous entrepreneurs or investors who've inspired you to become who you are today? There are many. I think that there are I've always looked for not general mentors, but rather mentors specific to an area of my life. So there have been um, folks I look up to as investors, people that are great writers, people that are great designers. And I would say like that's my kind of go-to counsel that I try to connect with once a year at least. Awesome. From the um, designer front, that's interesting because a lot of the people I speak to will tell me about investors who they admire. Or entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs who they admire. Tell me about some designers who have inspired you, who you admire, who you love to connect with. Well, I think it ranges. There are um, folks like uh, John Maeda, who was former president of Rhode Island School of Design, has been a mentor of mine for many years. And um, he and I serve on a board together for the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum and someone I've always looked up to. There are people like Joe Gebbia, who's the chief product officer and co-founder of Airbnb, who's also just a great designer. Dave Marin, a product designer, career at Apple and Facebook before starting a company called Path, and has uh, always thought about the intersection of 
crafting product and design. And um, and then there are uh, people that I've worked with over the years, whether it be um, Zach McCullough, Clement Feide, some people that have been designers that are were part of my journey that I continue to work with and go to for uh, for ideas, that that kind of thing. There are a lot of a lot of folks in the on the design side of my life that I rely upon. And sticking still with the idea of design and product in, in those early days, how did you get the balance right between product focus versus customer focus, and, and what lessons did you learn from that experience? Well, I think that they go hand in hand. And actually, one of the things I strongly believe, and I do mention this in the book and make the case for it, is that a lot of uh, a lot of founders and, and leaders of companies make the mistake by being so driven by their passion for the product, as opposed to their empathy with the customer suffering the problem that the product tries to solve. When you have a passion for a solution that you see, like something in your mind's eye, you're liable to go off and make it without being grounded with like the reality of the customers and the market. And as opposed to really constantly shoulder to shoulder suffering with the customers, you're likely to build something that's much more attuned to their needs and uh, and more likely to be adopted. And so I, I try to actually blunt the passion for the product solution sometimes and just constantly reinforce this notion of getting closer and closer to the customer. That customer focused or customer proximity is key for so many startups and scale-ups. You mentioned the book a few moments ago. So any specific experiences or learnings that inspired you to sit down and take a, a year or so out of your social life, I guess, because your business life carried on. So take time out to sit down and write the messy middle. You know, the project really started seven plus years ago when I started to jot down certain things that really struck me and sat with me, whether it was from a boardroom conversation, a 1 a.m. call with an entrepreneur going through a major inflection in his or her business, an experience that I had with teams in the, amidst the volatility of a new venture or turning around a product or making a big org change in a big company. I would always write these things down in a big Evernote file of ended up being over 800 different notes. And then I would start to add to some of them and pose additional questions, things I wanted to research, understand, or ask other specific people about. And this just became like a very big, sprawled out project. And I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this? I started to then call it all into groups and ultimately yielded three groups of insights. One, which is about endurance, enduring the extreme volatility of a new venture when no one cares what you're doing, you're living amidst complete anonymity, ambiguity, uncertainty, and you're liable to make some of the worst decisions out of fear in that period of time. The second set of insights I grouped together was insights around optimization. So how do you make your team more effective? How do you improve the way you lead and make decisions and have great product instincts? And how do you optimize the product and the way it works? And then the third little group that I had to preserve and give its own gravity to is what I like to call the final mile. And the final mile is when something is coming to an end and you uh, may, in fact, screw everything up if you're not careful. And one of the ideas that caught my attention is killing your darlings. I'd love to hear more about that gruesome sounding idea, killing your darlings. Tell me more. Any passionate artist or designer or writer or um, creative leader and founder will fall in love with certain aspects of his or her business, little aspects, little features within the product, little side 
efforts and things you do that you generate out of your passion for the problem you're trying to solve. And the problem with these things is that while they're beautiful and you love them, they distract you and your customers from what matters most. In uh, writing, the term killing your darlings applies to the little characters and plot points that writers leave in their manuscripts that they just can't bear to cut, even though their editors tell them, you know, this really gets people off of the point and it distracts people from the central plot and ultimately detracts from the book. And I've actually found this to be very true in building digital products as well. Whenever we remove a couple features that are not as used, but were built for power users, when we make those edits, what ends up happening is that our customers end up using the things that matter most more. And so it's important to be an editor, you know, as well as a creator and to identify things to take out just as much as you identify things to put in. And I guess that's emotionally quite tough for a lot of entrepreneurs to start taking things away from the product that they've so passionately been building to enable them to appeal to a wider market. It is. There's always a reason why something should be in there. And it just, you can't take that logic too long though, or else you'll end up with something bloated that no one truly engages with. So in terms of the insights in, in your book, let's focus on the endurance section for a few moments, because that's the part of the book that talks to earlier stage entrepreneurs. What are some of the other tangible ideas that an entrepreneur or product leader could draw upon that are highlighted in the um, endurance section of your book? Yeah, let's talk about endurance. I think that this is an area, this is the hardest part of the book to write. And it's also, I think, hardest part of the book to read because this is not fun and pretty. The periods of time at the low points of the volatility, you know, you lose hope. The long-term objective of what you hope to accomplish isn't enough to motivate you. You need to short circuit your reward system in order to have things that are rewarding you and feel making you feel like you're making progress on a day-to-day basis. And so um, one of the things I talk about is in leading through this anguish and unknown, short circuiting your team's reward system so that they can uh, start to feel like they're making progress. I mean, I talk about a funny story of I'm a vegetarian, a lifelong almost vegetarian since the age of, I guess, 11. And my team thought it would be really cool to have me eat meat at certain milestones. And for some reason, this motivated people. Um, And I was like, yeah, sure, we'll reach a million members, whatever. Uh, And then lo and behold, I had to do some things that were uncomfortable. Another thing is, um, another one was that we used to type Behance into Google. And every time we typed Behance into Google, it would always mean, do you mean enhance? Do you mean enhance? And so the other near-term reward was, can we no longer be a mistake? Which really motivated us to do all the work we could do to link back to our website from third-party blogs and merchandise ourselves properly, and also just get as many portfolios in the platform as possible so that eventually Google would no longer think that we were a mistake. And I think I also talk about another thing that I would mention is just how important it is for you to be the narrator of the journey for your team. I equate the enduring the long volatile middle of uh, a journey right after you get started, like driving a car for a five-day road trip with the windows blacked out and your team is in the backseat and they have no idea where they are and if they're ever going to get anywhere. They don't know if they're sitting in traffic or they are making progress. And if you as the driver are narrating them through it, saying, hey, we just passed this milestone, we just crossed the state line. If you're walking and helping people navigate the experience. It makes a tremendous impact. And unfortunately, as founders, we're oftentimes overwhelmed ourselves. And the last thing we want to do is 
kind of tell a story to our team of where we are, but they need it. And that's part of enduring the middle. Nice. Okay. I like that road trip idea. Optimization. So I'd love to hear, again, some tangible ideas, some real takeaways, two or three things that you highlight in in the messy middle that those entrepreneurs and business leaders could draw upon, could start implementing. Well, you know, there is, as you know, there are over a hundred insights in the section around optimization. I really think about it in three ways. And I think about it as how do you optimize your team? So the building, the hiring, the firing, the culture tools, how you communicate and structure the team. How do you make sure you don't have too much process, but also how do you make sure that you respect other people's processes? You know, then I go really deep into product and actually start this section by saying, hey, some people are going to skip to this section because they're obsessed with how to make product better, products better. Others are going to skip it all together. And then the third piece I focus on is just optimizing ourselves. Like how do we plan and make better decisions? How do we craft our own business instincts and sharpen the edge you know, that we use as we lead our teams towards something extraordinary? And a big part of that is staying permeable and relatable. When something is working, that's when you start to say, oh, maybe everything I did was right. And that's why I'm successful. And that false attribution of things going well to things you did is pretty dangerous because it makes us egotistical. It, it starts to make us less grounded in some of the realities and the role of luck uh, and everything else. So, uh, and by the way, I would say like a, a takeaway I want people to have from the book in general is that we are not our best selves, certainly at the lows, because we do start making decisions out of fear, and certainly at the highs, at the peaks, because in, in those instances, when everything's going well, we um, again we get you know we we get high on ourselves, and we start to uh, falsely attribute the things that we did to the things that work. I'm curious about luck. Actually, how important do you think luck is in the success of companies and products versus all the things that us? business leaders and entrepreneurs are, are doing and, and are attributing as the reasons for our success? Well, I think that timing is obviously a huge factor in a business. You can have the exact right idea at the wrong time. You can have the wrong idea at the right time. You can You can also be just sort of playing the wrong tactics at the wrong time in the right idea at the right time. There's a lot there. I think that luck itself is really about people being opportunistic and capitalizing on circumstances as opposed to being too overwhelmed by their own drama. I think in the middle, it's easy to say, I don't have time to take that random meeting or I'm too focused on my own business to ask other people what they're doing. Uh, And it's really when we break down those barriers and start to mine all these little, little circumstantial opportunities around us, whether it's at conferences or sitting on buses or trains, that you suddenly realize, oh my goodness, this person is the perfect person for this role, or this person is someone I want to really work with. And you know, and then we look, we look at that and we attribute it to luck, but maybe it was uh, just uh, being opportunistic and, and recognizing the opportunity as opposed to just passing it by and focusing on your own stuff. I'm going for a period where I feel things are going pretty well for me and my business, so I don't want to get carried away with that. Give me some advice on how to remain grounded? Well, I guess a few things, a few things I would say, you know, first of all, with a team, you're recognizing that the more credit you need, the less influence you'll have. And when things are going well, I think there are a lot of leaders that say, oh, you know, I I, look what I have achieved. And you start getting the press and you start taking the accolades and you start to actually believe that it was you as opposed to your team. 
And in fact, of course, the more you distribute credit, the more likely you are to not only engage people further, but also attribution does an interesting thing. It makes the people that actually made the greatest impact get more visibility and get more credibility amongst their peers. It gives them more influence over decisions. I think think you also have to start catching yourself when you are um, getting more in the weeds of the ideas that are being developed in the next turn. I think when things go well, we feel like we have a higher bar to maintain. It's our legacy. And therefore, we start to actually get more involved and be liable to micromanage or just rob people of their process, their creative process. Another thing that's interesting is in the book, I talk about the danger of getting attention is that you stop paying attention. And it's true. I mean, think about the uh, even the analytics of a product like Instagram that people ostensibly go to to see the content their friends are creating or contributing or sharing, when in fact, the analytics show us that customers are most likely to log in immediately after they post their content because they're more focused on seeing who saw their content than they are seeing other people's content. In the sense that this, when you're starting to get attention, when you have something out there, when you publish something, when you launch something, when you're in the press on something, you start to tune so much into the attention you're getting that you actually stop learning as much. You stop digesting and observing as much. And, and I actually think this is why in some ways success corrupts. It's because we become blinded by our own shine and we stop being relatable and permeable to what's going on around us. So um, those are a few thoughts in terms of staying relatable. Now I understand why uh, I always spend more time on Instagram during and immediately after I've been on holiday posting all those lovely photos. <laughs> right, right, right. I want to see who's giving me all the love. <laughs> okay. don't, don't we all? Tell me about the final mile. So one or two really significant takeaways from the final mile. Well, the final mile, I uh, start out this section by making the case that it's a different sport altogether. The things that you feel made you successful give you confidence. And then you realize, oh my goodness, like everything's actually different. If I'm going through discussions around a potential acquisition, if I'm making suddenly certain decisions that are not related to everything that got me here, but something different, uh, you just have to recognize, first of all, that you need different advisors, you need a different perspective, and you need a different pace. So we talk about that, the importance of staying in the early innings and how the things you do in the early innings, there's a certain approach you have to your work that is critical and is liable to slip as you enter a late stage of, of a project or right before launch, that sort of thing. So really just about how to approach the finish line, how to make sure you don't have some elements of self-sabotage, which is actually quite common. People start to feel like they don't deserve something working or they're not psychologically ready for something to be out in the world. And therefore they start to, in some strange way, destroy it. And I talk about some stories around that as well. And then around, you know, we talk about passing the baton. How do you make sure that you separate your identity from your work? And if you're ending a project not well, if something didn't work out, if you're shutting down a venture, you can't end wonderfully. How do you end gracefully? And then finally, never feeling finished. This notion that ultimately to be done is to die. You know, how do we make sure that we keep ourselves in the game is another thing that I find folks who uh, finish a major project or launch a venture, or, you know, sell it, or whatever, struggle with. Those are some of the themes in the final mile of the messy middle. Tell me more about that final point, never feeling finished, especially for an entrepreneur. So an entrepreneur who's achieved an exit and ever so often that exit is being acquired by a larger company and then joining that larger company. So in that situation, how would the entrepreneur, even you know their senior team, 
how would they be able to take on board the ideas of never feeling finished? Well, a lot of it comes down to curiosity. Talk about a few people I admire in the book. You know, one is one of my uh, colleagues at Benchmark, Bill Gurley, who is a uh, is just insanely curious. And despite how successful he's been as an investor and he could retire many times over, his curiosity can span many years of research and diligence and conversations without feeling the need to take an action. And so I postulate that curiosity is something that keeps us in the game when we're in the final mile of a, of a period of our career or a or project or anything like that. Um, another one is, you know, another example is Warren Buffett and how much he reads. And uh, I make the case that uh, what I learned from him is that a continuing, you know, that continuing to learn is an elixir to life. And talk about how when people come and visit him and always ask him about his keys to success, he, uh, you know, he points at a stack of books on his desk and says, hey, you know, read 500 pages like this every day. That's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. All of you can do it, but I guarantee not many of you will. It just it shows you that we, we all have the ability to be innately curious and to keep learning. Seldom do we allocate the energy to do so. Moving away from the messy middle just for a few moments. So you were an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, had a great exit. You advise and invest in many entrepreneurial businesses. Do you see yourself building another startup from scratch at some point? Right now, I'm in this mode where I feel like I'm building new products within a big company. So I'm trying to take Creative Cloud as we know it today, which is Photoshop, Illustrator, all the tools that you know Adobe has for creatives. And I'm starting to say, like, what is the next chapter of this offering? What is the next chapter of tools for the creative world? And I'm exploring the disruptor mode in a big company when it comes to product strategy. And applying a lot of what I learned as an entrepreneur to that, I find it a fascinating parallel. And I actually kind of like being able to do this within a big company with massive amounts of resources, as opposed to the struggling and starving startup. But I would also say that in the startup mode with limited resources, you develop a sense of resourcefulness, which I think is way more important than resources and um, lasts you, you know, a lifetime as a set of golden instincts that never fail. So I sometimes miss the the early days, but right now I'm kind of having fun in this new set of challenges. So unlike some of your peers who've found it quite frustrating to be part of a, a larger corporation, you're actually enjoying the your latest adventure. And, and maybe that's the curiosity that you mentioned earlier on. Maybe the, the curiosity in part is is continuing to drive you forward. Yeah, it is. And it's a new, you know, it's a new set of challenges that I'm enjoying navigating. And I believe in the work, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be serving a population of people that you care about. And you want to always have a a sense in your mind of how you feel the world should be. That's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, it feels good, you know, to feel like you made a small incremental dent, and that you'll do the same thing tomorrow and the next day. and, And that it's all for something that you care about. Lovely. Okay. Well, Scott, it's been fascinating chatting with you today. I'm really looking forward to uh, downloading your book from Amazon when it comes out. So uh, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, sharing your brilliant insights with our listeners. And uh, let me wish you huge success with The Messy Middle. Thanks so much. Really excited about it. Appreciate it. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. 
head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.